Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Uh, Good morning, church family. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. My name is Josh. I've had the privilege of being a pastor here with the church family for the last three years. If you are new or you're visiting, you're just here for Thanksgiving weekend, you're participating online, uh, we would love it if you would connect. I would love to connect with you after the service in the lobby. If you're online, you can fill out the connect card in the comments section under the video. We would love to connect with you this Thanksgiving. Anybody thankful today? What are you thankful for? Shout it out. You can type it in the chat if you're online. What are you thankful for? Hey, Ed got his wood in, and nobody got injured in the process. I think the guys had fun doing it. Anybody else thankful? Family, Family yeah. Neighbors helping neighbors. That's right. Seen a lot of that. Yes, good health. What are you thankful for? Power. Power. Hot, running water, flushing toilets. Amen. Anybody still without power? Today in the room, online, man, we've got a lot to be thankful for this Thanksgiving, don't we? A lot to be thankful for. Today's week two of the Stuffed Campaign, as as Alex mentioned, and we're calling it More Than Meets the Eye. Last week we said, stuff is good in and of itself as God created it, as God designed it, before sin tainted it, stuff is good, it's given for our enjoyment, 1 Timothy 6, 17, God gives good gifts for our good, for his glory. Amen? So if stuff is good, then why not more? And more. And more. And more. Why not? (laughs) Oh, today's Thanksgiving. Uh, We have a turkey dinner. My family's bringing the stuffing. We bought 10 boxes of stovetop dressing because it is the best. It was on sale, 87 cents at Giant Tiger. We're going to be stuffed. And then tomorrow we have another turkey dinner with my side of the family. And it's going to be great. Anybody having pork, ham for Thanksgiving? This, this whole idea of the stuff campaign, I think it's summed up in week two right here. We put the, the cute little piggy up there. You can see the piggy bank, the whole idea of bringing home the bacon, the idea that the pig can never get enough. He's stuffed, right? We're having some fun with this whole stuffed campaign. And I want to tell you, when we do a campaign, we want to start a conversation that goes beyond just 35 minutes on a Sunday morning. We want you to be talking about this in your groups, with your friends, in coffee shops, at home. Uh, so here's a little resource. If you're new uh, or if you've been living under a rock in our church family, if you don't have right now media, first of all, I'd ask why. It's free. It's easy. All you need is an email. All the information's right here. You can find it on the table at the lobby. But there's tons of resources on biblical finance, materialism. We created a channel called Stuffed Resources that we would recommend that you dig into to take this conversation further. Uh, This booklet is nothing new. I think it was put out in 2010. Uh, This is a revised edition with a new cover. Pretty flashy, eh? But it's all about stewardship. You, your money, and your church. Take this conversation further, further than we can go on 35 minutes on a Sunday. And then we put out this outline. This is great for groups. 
This is great when you get together with your friend, you want to chat about the content from Sunday's message. There's more scripture, there's discussion questions, an outline of the whole series that we're doing. You can get this online, you can grab your copy at the table in the lobby. We want you to take this campaign further so those resources are yours. You know what's difficult to do? I would say it's impossible. You cannot be thankful and want more at the same time. I don't think it's possible. I don't think you can be content and appreciate what you have and covet more at the same time. Can you? Can you be thankful for what you have and want more all at the same time? If stuff is good, then shouldn't we want more? If stuff is good, isn't more better? Uh, Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be today. Verse 1 gives us some context. There were so many people, such a large crowd gathered around to hear Jesus teaching and preaching that they were stepping on one another. The English Standard Version says they were trampling one another. That's quite a crowd, thousands and thousands of people. Luke chapter 12, let's read the passage and then we'll dig into it, starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Verse 14, but Jesus said to him, man, can you just hear Jesus saying that? Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, the whole crowd, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Do you have abundant possessions that you can be thankful for this weekend? And he told them this parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. He thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, God calls somebody a fool. We should probably pay attention, shouldn't we? And I don't think it's because he's talking to himself in the third person. This night, your soul is required of you. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray together. God, would you convict our hearts? Would you challenge our thinking? Would you give us courage to take action? We have so much to be thankful for this weekend, God. Help us not to lose sight of your generous love towards us. Amen. Let's talk about this guy in the crowd. Thousands of people and he shouts out. But let's not be so quick to judge. Let's, let's take a moment and understand what he's trying to say. We've, we've all heard of conflicts in relationship when it comes to finances, haven't we? Maybe we've even experienced it for ourselves, have you? In fact, we're going to talk about that uh, in this series as we go on. We talk about stuff and relationships. But we pointed out before that in this culture, the inheritance is a big deal, a big theme. You think of 
the firstborn. You think of the double portion. You think of Jacob and Esau and the fight for the birthright. You think of the prodigal son, give me my share of the inheritance. And then he goes and he blows it. The inheritance. I don't know this guy's situation. Maybe his parents have passed on. Maybe his brother, who's likely the older brother, is the executor of the will and he's being really slow to move on it. Maybe this man could really use the money right now. Could you use some money right now? Maybe a hurricane tore his roof off. Maybe it put a tree on the hood of his car. Maybe an inflated and fragile economy has eaten up all of his savings on necessities like groceries and gas. Maybe the housing crisis has left him hurting for a home for his family. Isn't that where a lot of us are at today? Couldn't you use more, more stuff? It's interesting how this guy is complaining about his brother, right? Now, I get that the conversation on personal finances is a sensitive one, and that's why we're trying to infuse some humor into it to take the edge off. But so often we point the finger, it's, it's somebody else's problem, isn't it? That guy over there. Like, I picture a church gathering and, we're listening to the preacher giving warnings and, and I hope so-and-so is listening to this because, man, they got a lot of stuff. <laughs> I've seen their Instagram profile. They've, oof, I hope they're listening to this. Somebody else's problem. Those people. My brother over there. Teacher. Tell my brother. I love how Jesus cuts right through the question to the heart of the matter because it's not really about the stuff, is it? It's not about the inheritance. Jesus says, man, who made me the judge or the arbitrator over you? Now remember John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his son that none should perish but believe in him. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Verse 17 says, God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, not to be the judge in the world. When Jesus came for 33 years in his earthly ministry and he died on the cross, he came to seek and to save the lost. When Jesus comes again and we have the final judgment, the Bema seat of Christ, Jesus will sit as judge. But here, Jesus is not here as judge. Jesus is not here to determine petty relational frustrations with money. Jesus is here to save people's souls. And he cuts right through the question to the heart of the matter. I think of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to have eternal life? Inherit eternal life. And Jesus digs right at the heart. Go and sell all that you have. And he goes away sorrowful because his possessions were many. Jesus didn't come to solve family feuds over money. He came to save the human soul. Jesus speaks to the whole crowd and he gives this warning. Luke 12 verse 15. Take care. You know what that means? Pay attention. Open your eyes. Watch. Be on guard. That means keep watch. Keep watching. Be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, the amount, the overflow, the extra. Covetousness. Desiring more. Lusting for more wanting more, needing more, an unhealthy desire for more. Remember how he said last week, 1 Timothy 6, 
It's our unhealthy desire for the stuff. It's not about the stuff itself. It's about our unhealthy desire, our misuse, our abuse, coveting, wanting more. Greed fits in there. Selfishness fits in there. Jealousy is like a close cousin that slides in there. The Bible says God abhors he who covets. The 10th commandment is thou shalt not covet. Jesus says, beware, be on guard, open your eyes, watch out for this. Now, why does Jesus warn about covetousness? Why are there so many warnings in scripture about material and monetary stuff? The warnings are multiple. They're severe because Jesus knows the human heart. He knows that we're going to struggle with this. He knows that we need help. He knows that we tend to overspend in December and pay for it come January. We try and find life. We try and find fulfillment. We try and find joy, satisfaction, happiness in the abundance of our possessions. If I just had more. But life is not found in the abundance of our possessions. It's pretty clear, isn't it? It sure looks that way on social media, though, doesn't it? Such a trap. If the warning's not clear enough, when it comes to our stuff and wanting more and more and never being satisfied, Jesus gives this parable. Now, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's something that we can relate to here and now in the physical that shows us a spiritual truth that otherwise we wouldn't be able to understand. So Jesus links this up with a picture that we know all too well. And he illustrates it for us because there's more to this than meets the eye. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Isn't that the way it goes? The rich get richer. It takes money to make money. King Solomon said, why do the wicked prosper? Always those people, those people out there, whoever those people are, the rich people. The land of a certain rich man produced plentifully. The guy's already rich and now he's getting richer. Greed, coveting, selfishness. That's just a rich person problem. I don't need to worry about that because I don't have two pennies to rub together. It's a rich person problem. Well, let's take a closer look. Jesus is giving the picture of fields at harvest time. This is pretty good picture for right now in this season of harvest and thanksgiving right my brother-in-law has been out in the harvester for weeks it seems like a month clearing out all the corn that was devastated during fiona it's harvest season this guy is a farmer this is an agrarian culture farms and farming i can't think of any other industry more dependent on the creator can you you need good soil You need sun, you need some rain. You probably don't need a hurricane to come through and level all your crops because that's going to be pretty devastating. You can't really do anything about that. You can do your best job, but you have to leave the rest up to God. The potato harvest in PEI that's happening right now. Farmers are hoping and praying that their potatoes aren't soggy and rotten under the soil because all the water is saturating the ground. Farmers are utterly, <laughs> utterly, um, they're, they're totally dependent on God. 
for the produce, for the harvest, the seasons, the soil, the weather. You can do everything right, and in a night it can be gone. So what produced plentifully? The land. Now, did the rich man make that happen? No. Who made it happen? Where does stuff come from? God, creator God, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Why would God give someone more than what they need? Why would God give a rich man more? Why would God give in abundance? Isn't isn't that the type of God we serve? The whole idea of the cup overflowing? the grace and mercy that he showers upon us that we don't deserve, that we didn't earn. We serve an abundant God. God gives us more than we need. We're blessed so that we can be a blessing, so that we can share and give and be generous. We're going to talk more about that in this series. That's what churches around Atlantic Canada were encouraged to do this week for Love Atlantic. Maybe you heard about that. Be radically generous in Jesus' name. We get to love only because he first loved us. So stuff is not the problem. It's the unhealthy desire for it, which we're about to see. So look at the rich man's response. Luke chapter 12, verse 17. And he thought to himself. Now, can, can you do a little exercise with me? A little uh, geeky Bible study exercise. Can you count all of the personal pronouns? I, me, my, as we go through this passage. You tell me how many there are as we get down to verse 19. Verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. How many personal pronouns? 11. I think it's 11. Who's he thinking about? Himself. There's no thought to God. There's no thought to another person. There's no thought to, you know, maybe I should leave a little bit at the outside of my field for all those widows who come in and need to glean from the edges of my field. There's no thought to anybody else. It's all about him. All about him. God's granted all of this stuff to him so that he can be a good steward of it. And he's not thinking about any of that. He's thinking about himself. So he tears down his perfectly good barns and he builds bigger so that he can hoard it all for himself. You ever seen the show Hoarders? It's kind of sad, isn't it? They just have like a little little pathway from room to room because they have all of this stuff. Then you think your own life. Uh, When Steve and I were discussing this content, he pointed out the storage business. That that we pay to have a shipping container somewhere because we have so much stuff. And if you have a storage unit, I'm not getting after you. Me and my family, we had a storage unit for 11 months. When we moved here, man, you want to know how much stuff you have. Just move. Pack it up into boxes. Here's here's the crazy part, okay? I'm putting my life on display. When we moved into our first house in New Brunswick, 
there were a few boxes we carried downstairs and sat in the storage room. No word of a lie. When we moved out of that house seven years later to move to Nova Scotia, we took those same boxes that we never opened or unemptied and put them in the truck and moved them here. Never even used them in seven years. They just sat on the shelf. But here's the thing. We came, we didn't have a house right away, so we put all of our items into a storage unit. Try and find an available storage unit in the Truro area. Crazy. So we found one shipping container. We filled it with all of our stuff. Bunch of church family, you showed up to help unload the truck, put it in. That was an awesome day. But then there was this weird moment where we locked it, got in the car, and drove away from all of our earthly possessions sitting in a big steel box in Truro. And then we would drive from wherever we were going to wherever we were living at the time. And I'd often point out to the kids, there's our storage unit. Number 81, there's all your toys, kids. There's our beds, there's our furniture, there's all of our stuff in this life in a steel box for almost a year. Um, I don't know why I'm getting emotional at that, kind of silly, but... uh, like, I'd, I'd pick up my son, Reese, from school, and a few times we did this. We would, we would get our snack after preschool, and we would go to the storage unit, unlock it, open it, and take out the dining room chairs and sit there and have our snack. I, I don't know why I'm getting emotional at that, but it's just a weird thought that all of the stuff you have in this life fits in a steel box, sitting somewhere in some gravel yard. Isn't that wild? Fiona kind of puts that into perspective too, isn't it? What a weird thing. Here's everything we own in the world. Oh, you've probably got similar stories. Um, I listened to this riveting radio program this past week all about the useless appliances you own. And how many times have you used them over the course of their life? And this one guy called in, he had multiple waffle makers. Like, I can't tell you how many. And it had been years since he used them. And the radio host said something like, so are you going to give them away? Are you going to sell them? Are you going to have a yard sale? And he's like, no, I'll hold on to them. <laughs> anyway, the, there's too many illustrations. Look at verse 19 again. Someone said, this is the only time the Bible mentions retirement. (laughs) Verse 19, I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Thanksgiving, right? Nap time this afternoon. It's good to relax. Bible talks about Sabbath, rest. This rich man is forgetting the brevity, the fragility of life. He thinks he's in control. He thinks that life is found in the abundance of his possessions. He thinks that life is all about pleasure. Hedonism. He has ample goods stored up for many years. 1 Timothy 6, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. You remember that last week? It's a wise idea to have an emergency fund for a dry season, for a for a, a stormy season, a rainy day. Uh, Proverbs talks about the ant working hard and storing up for the winter. There's wisdom in that. But to put your trust, your security in wealth. It's funny the terms that we associate with wealth. The hedge fund. 
the trust fund, security fund, the emergency fund. This rich man's life, his hope, his future, his trust, it's all tied up in what's stored in those barns out back. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Kind of sends shivers down your spine, doesn't it? You thought you had your future secure. Well, this very night, James tells us our life is but a vapor. It's so quick. Your soul is the eternal part. Your soul is who you truly are, that immaterial part that's able to relate to God. It's the eternity that God's placed in our hearts, the book of Ecclesiastes. Life is so quick. The stuff, the material stuff, whose is it going to be after you're gone? How much are the kids going to charge for it at the yard sale? Just think, you live your life to accumulate all this stuff. Will any of it be appreciated after you're gone? Someone heard a rich man died and they asked, how much did he leave behind? And the response was, he left all of it. I heard a preacher tell the story of a wealthy man. He's on his deathbed. He's in this elaborate home, his bedroom. He's receiving all this personal care that he can afford because he's wealthy. The family's been called in to say their final goodbyes. And with his last struggle for breath, he turns over to where his wife is seated next to the window. He says, honey, can you just step aside? You're blocking my view of the Ferrari. Nobody ever said that, right? Because you don't care about stuff at that point, do you? Because it's not about the stuff. If only we could realize this before it's forced upon us. What really matters? At the end of the day, at the end of your life, at the end of the rich man's life, it's not about the stuff, it's about your soul. There's more than meets the eye. He who has the most toys does not win. There's more to the conversation than just the stuff. What does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and forfeit, lose his own soul? Man, you can have it all and you can realize that you had nothing in the end. Luke 12, 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We're going to talk about that passage about laying up treasure in heaven, storing treasure in heaven where moth and rust, thieves break in. You don't have to worry about any of that because we're storing it up in eternity. We're going to talk about that. How many times have I been guilty of laying up treasures for myself? Where does my treasure truly lie? I love where the passage goes next. And I didn't think I would go this far, but I read into it and I thought, man, this is perfect. Just let me read these two verses for you, verse 22 and 23, and then we'll close. Jesus said to his disciples, it's like he's speaking to the crowd, all these thousands of people, he gives this parable, and then he quiets down, turns to his disciples, and he takes it a step further. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat 
nor about your body, what you will put on. Verse 23. For life is more than food. And the body is more than clothing. There is more than meets the eye. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Life will never be found in the abundance of one's material possessions. There is more. More than food, more than clothing. There is this spiritual element to the conversation. You know what I do every morning? I eat a piece of toast. Usually with an egg on top, maybe some cheese on that. But you know what I have to do the next morning? Another piece of toast. It's the craziest thing. Tomorrow morning, I'll probably have another piece of toast because I'm just an exciting guy. (laughs) You know when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? Turn these loaves into bread. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you remember when Jesus was with the woman at the well? Show me this living water. Where do you get it? Now, I want to I close with this illustration right here. We're going to do a couple different things here at the end of this service I want to talk about in a moment, but let's say you're stranded at sea. You've seen those movies, person's laying there, sunburnt, their lips are all blistered, they're in that orange dinghy out in the middle of the ocean. What are they? Thirsty. It's the craziest, most ironic thing because they're surrounded by an ocean of water. But what's wrong with the water? Salty. But isn't it, isn't it wet? Isn't it cool? Isn't it right there? Isn't it accessible? In abundance, everywhere, everywhere you look is water, 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 and maybe they get crazy enough just to, just to take a drink of that water. What's it going to do to them? dehydrate you, give you a dry mouth, make you more thirsty. So you got to drink more water, right? And the more water you drink, the, the thirstier you get. The more you take, the more you need, the more it dehydrates you until it eventually kills you. I just think in this world, in this life, there is just an abundance of stuff around us at our fingertips And we can just take more and more and more and more and more and fill our closets and build bigger and rent storage units so that we can have more. And it just builds this unhealthy desire of greed and selfishness and that close cousin of jealousy when we want more. Makes us thirstier, doesn't it? And it never really fulfills or satisfies or brings the contentment, the longing of our soul that only the living water can bring. We're going to close in a song, and I would invite the band to come back at this point. We haven't done this for a long time, and and one of the reasons we're doing this is because at the end of the service, when one of the pastors preach, And they close in a word of prayer and say amen and give the final benediction. Have a great week. As much as we enjoy getting up and fellowshipping, and there's there's a lot of good community aspect to that, oftentimes I have to think when we get to that door and get to the car, we've forgotten what God has been prompting us to do. 
So we want to give time at the end of this service for a response. We don't want to rush out and get on with the day. And I know it's Thanksgiving. Maybe you have a turkey in the oven. But we don't want to miss the opportunity of what the Holy Spirit might be doing in your heart and life. So one of the other things that we're going to do along with this closing song is we're going to have a prayer response team. And I, I would ask them to stand. If, if you're part of this prayer response team, would you just stand and identify yourself at this point? We're going to have our prayer team up here at the front. And as this closing song is played, um, we want to give you an opportunity to respond. You can sit down, prayer team. Thank you. Maybe today for the first time, maybe, maybe it's Thanksgiving weekend, your family invited you out, maybe you're in the area, you're traveling, maybe you've been sitting here week after week after week. And you've never put two and two together that church isn't just a compartment of your life that you add in because more is better. And maybe if I add a little Jesus on top of all the stuff, man, that's going to solve everything in my life. No, maybe, maybe you're realizing for the first time that maybe more stuff isn't better. And maybe the reason I still have this longing in my soul is because Jesus is the only one that can satisfy the longings, the issues, the pain in my heart. Jesus is the only one who can speak to that sin issue in your heart. Jesus is the only one that can promise abundant, everlasting life. Maybe you've come to that realization. Maybe the Spirit is convicting your heart today and you feel a hand on your shoulder and you want to respond. Well, we're going to have a prayer team here at the front. We're going to close with this song. I want to give you an opportunity to respond this Thanksgiving as we've encountered the Lord's table, as we've sang in worship, as we've looked at what Jesus has had to say in his word about where life is truly found. What a cool Sunday it would be to give your life to the Lord, to take a moment and to respond after this service. And I just get that picture at the Thanksgiving table with the, the family gathered around. You're holding hands and you're going around saying what you're thankful for this year. Truly in life, what is there to be more thankful for than a God who's willing to give his only son to pay the price on the cross for your sin and then to rise again from the grave to give you new life, abundant life, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the love and acceptance and forgiveness of the Father and a friend who sticks closer than a brother. How beautiful would that be today? Would, would you stand with me as we close in prayer and as we engage in this song together? Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you so much for who you are. We have so much to be thankful for today, Father. We thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your incredibly beautiful gift of love in the sending of your son, in his sinless life, his vicarious sacrifice on the cross in our place to take our dead and our sin upon him and to pay the price for us. Oh, we praise the name. We thank you today, Jesus. Thank you for your blood that washes us white as snow. Thank you that you paid the price today, Father. 
Help us to find our fullness, our satisfaction, our contentment, our joy, our abundant life in you and you alone. Help us not to chase after the stuff, but to chase after the one who created and gifted the stuff. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name.